Hey everybody, welcome to Land of Lakers Live. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky coming to you after game two. The Lakers win this one. This was a fun game. It wasn't necessarily beautiful, Andy, but it was fun. Uh, 105-103, the final score, of course, by now. Everybody knows how it ended with the Anthony Davis buzzer beating three, two seconds left in the game. Um, whoa, that was fun. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I, I mean, it was it was a really thrilling ending and like a really thrilling last couple minutes to a game that was really sloppy, I think, by both teams in a lot of respects, but in particular for the Lakers. Yeah. You know, their, their execution over the course of this whole game left a lot to be desired. And I'm sure the film session is not going to be a lot of fun no. until you get to that final possession. Well, look, I mean, this was one of those deals. I mean, the Lakers turned the ball over 23 times over the course of the game. You you asked, uh, you know, Alex Caruso after the game talked about how, you know, it was, you know, then they were bad in the half court. And part of the reason they were bad, as AC said, was you don't get into a rhythm when you're constantly turning the ball over, when there, then there's a foul somewhere, and then there's this, and that. And it, it made them disjointed, and they looked, you know, in the half court like a team that the team kind of that we were worried about more at the beginning, you know, of the playoffs where they where they didn't execute because you know that that's what they became over after the really after the first quarter. I thought. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it was it was a weird it was a weird game for them offensively, just because pretty much from the outset of this game. The the entire offense just seemed out of rhythm. They didn't really seem like they had any type of flow. They were carried in that first half a lot by LeBron, and mm-hmm. then they were carried a lot in the second half by Anthony Davis, including LeBron, who said that after yeah, the game. Absolutely. Um, but, I mean, and some of that, because when I asked Alex Caruso about that after the game, I specifically said beyond the turnovers, was there anything that you could – account for in in terms of just why the offense seemed so out of whack basically from the jump. And he said that, honestly, a lot of it just was the turnovers because you can't find a groove. So, you know, we'll see what, if anything, from that carries over. But it was just – it was pretty striking from the beginning of this game just how out of sorts they seemed in terms of getting their offense on the same page. Yeah, I mean, I thought where they 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 did okay because you know down the stretch, you know, they, they were looking at it like, oh, you know, they they keep letting Denver back in, they build a lead, they let Denver back in. And some of us give Denver credit, obviously, by now we know they're really good. Um, but I'm saying to myself, like, sort of like at the beginning of the Portland series, like this is not a defense problem. This is not them defending Jokic poorly. Or uh, or or Murray or whatever. Like this is a they can't score in the half court problem. I thought what they did really well early, despite some sloppy play, was they were able to push at a much better pace. Like they pushed off made baskets early. You know, twenty nine points in the first quarter. Um, you know, thirty one in the second quarter, and a lot of that came despite the sloppiness because they were able to move that pace along, and it just that disappeared um, in the second half, and so. It was, it was, I think it to me, Andy, this was just a reminder that it's supposed to be hard. Like the Lakers, the way they beat up on Portland toward the end, the way they took control of those Houston games um, and won the last couple in very convincing fashion. And then they win game one of the, of the conference finals against Denver. 
all of a sudden it's like you kind of forget like it's supposed to be hard and tonight it was and i thought the fact that the lakers came through in the way that they did um executing at the end was impressive and encouraging yeah it, i mean this is what you in a lot of ways expect from a championship caliber team is i mean we've covered a lot of this stuff in the past and everything you know if if you've ever just paid close attention to a team that won a championship and, and the run that they went on, they're not all going to be great games. Like you're going to have a team that ends up winning a championship that at times doesn't look particularly good. Yeah, like that's absolutely. the way this goes. I mean, like you said, it's supposed to be hard, but also what makes it difficult is just executing at that, at that level game in game out. You know, it, it's, it is on a lot of levels, you know, mentally, physically, all of that difficult. And, you know, Denver is a really good team. But, you know, what, what we've seen from this team over the course of this season is they're really resilient. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's fitting that they're playing a team like Denver that's become like the poster child for resiliency, you know, having won two game sevens uh, and come back from a two, three, one deficits. But the Lakers have been really resilient this entire season. They've been through a lot. And, you know, at the end of the day, they dominated game one and they did not play particularly well in game two. And they squeaked by in thrilling fashion at the end to get that win. It's still 2-0. And, it do, you know, Miami could just as easily be down 1-2 or 0-3, I should say. Miami could be 0-3 right now just as easily as they're 2-1. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't matter how you win those games. No. What matters is that you do it and then you take the lessons from whatever happened. Uh, yeah. And a uh, quick reminder that, you know, this the Lando Lakers Live and the Lando Lakers podcast always brought to you by the folks at Delicious Pizza, two locations, West Adams and in Hollywood. Tell them the Cam Brothers sent you uh, when you call your order in or when you go pick it up in person. 20% off your pizza pies and all the other food that they make there. It's great food. Uh, support your local businesses, support a local Lakers fan. So get out to delicious pizza. Um, do you want to, you want to talk about AD because obviously not just the fact that he hit the game winner and that play makes him sort of the, the topic of the night, but like this playoffs in a lot of ways to me is becoming like about Anthony Davis. And in some ways it was, a, it was going in, it was going to be a litmus test on on who he is as a superstar. Um, and to say the least, Andy, uh, he, he came through tonight, 31 points, uh, nine rebounds, and obviously the, you know, the two buckets at the end, including the three. I mean, this moment is one of those kind of, we, you look back, you could look back on this in five, 10 years, depending on where his career goes and say, yeah, this was a pivot point. Yeah, I mean, like if you wanted to try to make a comparison point, um, for example, you could look at, I want to say it was game four. I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but in 2000, when the Lakers won the first of the three-peat titles um, against Indiana, and there was the game um, where Kobe had to take over because mm -hmm. Shaq fouled out. And right. that was really like Kobe's true coming out moment. When I mean, everybody knew even before that that Kobe was a great player. That you know, he certainly seemed like he was on a path towards being, you know, perhaps an all-time great player. But that moment 
was like really a coming out moment for him in terms of like, okay, we really see what this guy is about in these moments that truly, truly matter. You know, not right. that Kobe had because hadn't, hadn't said, there's a difference well. between being great and there's then 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 an all time great or you know an all time great, but one who doesn't win two or three times. You know, Charles Barkley and John Stockton versus Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. You know, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but but also too, like in in particular, and this is why I'm also bringing it back to to AD in this comparison mm -hmm. point. It's not like Kobe during that 2000 run hadn't had great moments. I mean, one of the right. most indelible moments from that entire playoff run was the lob that he threw to Shaq in game seven against Portland. You know, there were plenty of great moments then, but this was a moment where Kobe picked up for Shaq, where the number, you know, the, the number two guy picked up for the number one guy not being there. And in this second half, again, by LeBron's own admission, AD carried the team. And by the team, LeBron very specifically included himself. Yes. You know, beyond just the game winner, it was that second half. As great as LeBron was in that first half, his presence wasn't felt nearly the same way in the second half. That was really Anthony Davis. And that's part of the whole story. I just, and what makes it cool to me is, and I tweeted this during the game, like, we live in obviously a tear it down culture generally, but very much a tear it down sports culture um, where, you know, the knives are out for guys who, who are going to be the quote unquote stars. The knives are out for, for you for the minute and people are just waiting to see the failure come through. And if you don't perform, you get crushed for it. And one of the things just overall that I thought was great about this game, it was Jokic making awesome plays on one end and then like Davis comes back and does it on the other and like you had superstars achieving in tonight's game so there is no I mean I guess unless you're a plumley there's really no like Ooh. oh that guy screwed up Ooh. and not even that like that's that was complicated and so you made a mistake clearly I mean look you could put that as much on Mike Malone like why are you putting that guy in cold all kinds all kinds I mean of there, there's a lot that can go into that all kinds of stuff, but like you know, th that's a hard. It's a hard play. It's a bang. You know, they miss clearly some sort of miscommunication there. If this was a night of like achieve, not the whole game, but like by the end, it was like achievement down the stretch where it's like, look at that great player do that, and then look at that. So I, I really appreciated it in that regard. But for Davis, like this is what he asked for. Like he came to LA and he talked about it after the game. And I, I mean, I'll, I'll pull up the quote here. It's like he says. You know, I know the quote unquote pressure is going to be on us, going to be on me, especially the first year with everything that happened last year and also playing along with Braun. Um, you know, but like this is where he wanted to be, knowing that this was going to be the expectation. And for him to continually get better over the course of the playoffs. And so, you know, he's rising to this challenge that he set for himself. I think it's a it, it's such a great story, and it's it's great for the Lakers, obviously, but it's a great story at a time in sports where we don't get a lot of that. It's mostly tear the guy down after he fails. Kawhi Leonard not a leader. Paul George can't hack it. You know all of this stuff. Anthony <laughs> Kawhi Davis, Leonard, two time Finals MVP. MVP <laughs> is apparently not enough of a leader anymore to be able to get the Clippers through. It's like, but Anthony Davis is rising to this. It could turn on a dime. I get that. There's still the rest of this series. There's the finals. But right now, at least, he is absolutely crushing it 
after putting himself in the hardest possible position. And I have an enormous amount of respect for that. Well, I mean, what's interesting about it with Anthony Davis is that he, if you looked at his playoff history up until joining the Lakers, it was actually really good. Like, you know, yeah. he didn't have a lot of playoff runs. Like, he didn't have a lot of sustained ones, and he only been there twice. And a lot of that was circumstantial. And you have to look at the context of the teams that he was with. He, he did not play with, with the Pelicans, with a lot of teams that really had any type of realistic business making a long playoff run. And th there were injuries often, including Anthony Davis, that prevented that from happening. But his actual performances in the playoffs – before joining the Lakers have actually been good. Like he is, he's not one of those guys where he joined and you wondered how he'd handle all this because traditionally he shrunk in the playoffs. Sure. It was just, this is a brand new experience. He's never played with a, you know, with a front runner. He's never played with an organization that people care as much as the Lakers. So how's he going to react to that? Right. But the it's a big, so there's a big difference between, stepping up and performing with the Pelicans in a series where even, okay, yeah, you beat Portland and it's awesome, but like literally nobody expects you to go very far and it doesn't really matter. Right. I mean, you know, it, like I don't want to take anything away from like Damian Lillard because Damian Lillard has been an incredible playoff. He's been an incredible playoff performer. And I mean, you know, every single team in the league would like cut off their arm to have Damian Lillard as part of their playoff roster. Of course. But, you know, and, and he, you know, he's been a franchise killer. I mean, like he literally reshaped the thunder, you know, from hitting shots. But that being said, part of what has helped Damian Lillard in terms of that playoff perception is he's never played on a team that's been expected to win at all. Right. And again, I'm not taking anything away from no, because I guarantee no, if you put, you're if you put not, but it Lillard, matters. That right, makes, if, that matters. Yeah, I guarantee if you put Lillard on a front running team, he would perform exactly the same. That is yes. not a guy who wilts to pressure. When LeBron but I'm it affects sorry, his off. Yeah, well, like when LeBron I asked LeBron this question about AD, he spoke first tonight. Like, you know, like he signed LeBron is one of the few guys who I think can can identify with this in the same way. And this is what he explicitly signed up for, particularly when going to Miami. He'd been in the playoffs before, but like he put the target on himself going to Miami and said, I like if I do not, and then he then really did it with, you know, not one, not two, not three, not four, not nine, whatever it turned out to be. Yeah, the, the monster truck and pep rally thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest show on wheels, wheels, wheels. Um, like Bosh, Bosh, Bosh. <laughs> <laughs> and so like he gets it and you know the part i asked him this question and the part of it that i thought was you know really got to the core of it at the end was when he's like you know this is a this is something that for all all the people sitting at home um you know that 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 watch it and judge. He said anybody can talk from outside, but if they got into the ring or they got into the arena, probably ten times out of ten they shit their pants. Um, in this particular case, in the transcript, it says expletive their pants. But I know what he said, Andy. So it's like he's right, and to volunteer for that is it, it, and, and and then perform. Uh, is is to say something, and I thought the the most in, one of the it really put it in perspective. Too, I saw Tanya Ganguly tweet out the quote that you referenced 
uh, you know, from the times referenced that, you know, that LeBron said that AD dragged him through the second half. It's a reminder. One of those two guys is the second best player on this team on any given night. Right. But like, sure. Like, but like one of those two, like, uh, you know, however you want to categorize it, the, when, the, where, whatever, one of those two is the second worst is the second best player on the team. That's why the Lakers should win a title this year because yeah. I can't. I mean, who are the, who are the? We were talking about this, I think, the other day, right? Who is the third best player left in the playoffs? Third best player left in the playoffs. In the playoffs, is it Jokic? Is it Jimmy Butler? It's Jokic. it's Jokic. Okay, I think Jokic has been a monster in the playoffs, particularly the last series. Right, but it's it's Jokic. It's it's uh, Jason Tatum. Uh, Lakers, so that suggests Jason Tatum. Sure. Uh, on the chat board, like, I would say Jokic, but those are good suggestions. Right, those those are really the three guys you can choose from. Jamal Murray has played really well. I don't know if he's that guy. No, those guys. I mean, I I mean, you know, I live on Denver Island, and I love Nikola Jokic. He's not Anthony Davis or or LeBron James. Top. He's easily a top ten player in the league. Yeah, he's moving up. I mean, you know, but he's not as good as those guys. And no, so he's not. that you know, tonight we saw what can happen when the supporting cast struggles a little bit. Or there are ways to beat the Lakers and all that. But the Lakers are prohibitive favorites now and should be to win a title because they have, without question, the two best players left in the playoffs. It's not, and it's not close. They do. I mean, you know, I mean, but this was also too why I mean, why I hadn't been as worried as some people in terms of the supporting cast, right? You know, because you know the drop off between AD and whoever you consider the number three on this team, just because I mean, a it tends to be your stars that make or break you in terms of your overall yes. overall playoff picture. I mean, the, the supporting cast needs to come through; those guys need to make sure they're carrying their own weight just so it isn't too much on the rest of them. But it is rare. You know, it's rare in a, in a game, much less, you know, multiple games over the course of a series or a playoff run where the number three guy or the number four guy, you know, some some solid, you know, some solid complementary player is somebody that regularly carries a team when their stars aren't performing. I mean, that just doesn't really happen. I mean, like, you know, with, with the Clippers, for example, I remember you and I had this discussion on, on a few podcasts, you know, the idea that the Clippers depth, which I think on paper is, it, it could be superior than the Lakers. I mean, not defensively, but I think if you just look at overall, it may, it may be superior, but I never buy, bought into the idea that Lou Williams, if say Kawhi and Paul George, were having a bad game, that mm -hmm. Lou was going to be able to carry them. I'm like, no, he's not. Because no. he, he's never done that in the playoffs, and he's not that caliber of player. Like, we we saw in Game 7, if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both don't play well, you know, I mean, this series was an extreme version because Lou Williams just didn't play well the whole series. Right, and Trez was bad the entire series but, but and all that But stuff. Lou's playoff history has not been great because yeah, Lou I, is a really good He's a really good six man and he's a really good scorer off the bench, you know, microwave type, but he's not that caliber yeah, of player. I think the, 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 the other side of that is it's not, it doesn't have to be when your stars aren't carrying. It's when your stars are playing pretty well or they're having a good game, 
maybe your stars are competing as well. And then you inject a Lou Williams and Trez are there sure. playing well. Like it's when those guys are playing well, they can elevate you above. I don't think it's so much carrying carrying your stars when they're not, although that can be a thing. You get a bad quarter from Paul George and Lou goes off for th you know with three triples or whatever it might be. That could be enough to sustain you. But it's the fact that if sort of everybody's doing what they're supposed to do, then these guys bring something that you may not be able to counter. And what changed for the Clippers, obviously, is those guys didn't bring that thing. And then, you know, Paul George was, you know, I, I, Paul George is Paul George. Like he had some good moments and he had some really shaky, you know, playoff moments, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm a, at least a little bit more sensitive talking about because like he was very open about some of the mental stuff and the strain that he's going through, but be it as a man, whatever the reasons, and there are legitimate mitigating circumstances, he did not play well enough, often enough, no. I think, for the Clippers. I think that's that's fair. Um, that hasn't happened for the Lakers. Like They really haven't been in a position where LeBron and AD haven't performed well enough that you needed Lou Williams, whoever that would be, or Montrez Harrell, whoever that would be, to come through. And No. I mean, look, Kyle Kuzma is the closest thing you would come to, to like a prototype number three on the Lakers, his scoring presence has not been a factor at all in the playoffs. I mean, he, he's been very good defensively. Like, I don't, I don't think he's been a minus. Like, he didn't have a great game tonight, but I think by and large, Kuz has been fine, and he's found ways to contribute, but not as a scorer. I mean, he, he has not really had much of a presence that way. And by definition, it hasn't really been damaging the Lakers. You know, I mean, it, it, I mean, clearly they're up 2-0 in the Western Conference Finals. Well, and I think what helps too is they're they they. I think part of the reason they're so confident. This is something I, you know that that we've talked about with Vogel, you know, throughout the the bubble and all that. Their confidence as a group obviously is centered in we've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like that's a really good place to start. Yeah. But the, the other side of it is it their confidence isn't really founded on being able to go get buckets. It's being able to lock down defensively when they know they need to. Like they know when they need to crank it up, if they need seven minutes of elite defense to get through something, to shut it to they know they they be, absolutely believe they can do it. And that's a different kind of swagger than we have a bunch of guys who can go get buckets. And I think the Clippers thought they were able to do that. And part of the reason I think they struggled so much in the playoffs is that defensive switch never was there for them. Whereas the Lakers have been pretty crappy at moments offensively, but have been almost universally good on the other end. So they always know that's there. Uh, here's a question from uh, OC Laker Fanatics. How much do you think Kobe was in the mind of AD when he took that last shot? The answer Great is question. A lot. Yes, a lot. I mean, he um, he confirmed this afterwards that you know there was speculation on Twitter that he had mouthed Kobe after he hit that shot, and he confirmed that he did. And Frank Vogel said afterwards, uh, you know, or he had been mic'd up, and he had described it as a Mamba shot, and he talked about how that type of shot embodied everything that Kobe stood for as a player and strove to to be in terms of winning and in terms of rising up when your team needs you the most. 
And it's funny. I mean, I, I know you and I heading into these playoffs, we talked a lot about, you know, Kobe being at the forefront of all these yes. players' minds. And, you know, you would understand why. And it, it speaks to, you know, this team and Frank Vogel and the coaching staff and the entire organization, how much they really want to try to honor Kobe with the championship. But whether that would become too much of a thing. Yeah, that was my big question. Is that yeah, I know? Is it going to be a boost or is it going to be a burden? And I think tonight, I mean, is tonight as much as any? I think we really saw the answer is the latter. It, or it's, it's not a burden. It's it's a boost. It is it is not the pressure. I think that they're feeling of you know like if we don't win for Kobe, we're failures or whatever. But there's just a lift. I mean, there's a lot. You know, they're three and zero in the jerseys. They're you know. You know, you got AD mouth, you know, yelling that at the end. That's not those, that's not the, that's not the actions of a team that feels burdened by something, that feels overwhelmed by something. And it's, they really have channeled it, I think, in a very positive way. Well, I mean, the word you keep using, burden, I, I don't think they see it that way. I, you know, I, they, I, I 100% they, agree they see now. It, right, right. I, I, I'm just adding on to that. I mean, sure. it's clearly something that's inspiring them but not in a way that creates pressure that starts turning it into I like I don't think that they see it as they will have failed Kobe if they don't win this championship which Correct. would have been the most negative way that they could have gone into this like in terms of turning that memory in and, and you know that that mission statement into something that just overwhelms them you know and envelops them in ways that just create it too much that hasn't been the case. Like it seems like it's really something that inspires them. It seems like they really feel Kobe's presence, and you know, all of these guys. You, are you this, understand? You understand why oh, I was worried that it could be. Absolutely. I mean, it's a very reasonable thing to be concerned about. But I mean, I think between all the guys on this team, like LeBron or Anthony Davis, who had a very positive relationship with Kobe. Or, you know, Rajon Rondo had a very good relationship with Kobe. Or guys like Kuzma or Quinn Cook, who just absolutely idolized him. Or somebody like Dwight Howard, who I think has a lot of, you know, misgivings in terms of the way they didn't get the closure that he wanted. You know, all of them have this very specific relationship to Kobe that I think could drive them in ways that aren't negative or or where it feels like something being put on their shoulders. So it's like, well, wh why? Like, th this shouldn't be on us. You know what I mean? Right. Like, where it feels unfair. Remind me to come back to something. I just saw a, a stat go through that I think is absolutely staggering. Okay. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't want to, I, I don't want to derail this conversation because I think it's an important one, but like, just remind me to, oh, what's that thing before we I wrote remind on a piece of paper. Very good. So, but like, I, and what I, what I think is, I, and I, I, I hope I express this in a way that makes sense to people who are listening. What I think is great about the way that the, the Kobe part of this has played out through the playoffs is it's, it really has been something that has, at least to me, um, who does kind of look at stuff sometimes with a you know a, a, a cynical eye, worry about exploitation of of stuff like this. I don't like forced patriotism. I don't like any. I don't like I, this stuff. Makes me uncomfortable. 
I I really feel like it has been portrayed in a very positive way. It doesn't feel like the influence and the way Kobe is talked about in this series and the way it's talked about on Bright. It nothing about it feels exploitative or cheap or whatever. Like when they wear the uniforms, it's talked about, it's whatever, but like no, it doesn't feel to me like anybody's even connected, like talking about the playoffs or sort of mining or exploiting you know the the storyline here in ways that that at least to me are would be like no, off putting i i remember when you and i were doing shows for for 710 you know the the week of kobe's death or even like a couple weeks uh like the week of and like the week following right. i remember you and i even talked about this on air like the idea of being concerned that you could you could be perceived as trying to milk this and you know and and either of our cases and i think anybody that we were working with on air that wasn't the case i no, mean I think, like what's the line like what's right, the line exactly. between talking exactly. about stuff that people want to talk about and like hey guys let's keep talking about kobe because it's great for ratings right and you don't want to be perceived that way no because because the truth is i mean we you know we learned this as somebody who covered 10 years of kobe's career there is no such thing as a discussion about kobe that will not get clicks, that will not get ears, that will not get eyes. When we talk like about it, Kobe on this show, on this podcast, when we do Laker, when we do late night happy hour, whatever, when Kobe's name comes up, people engage longer. They talk like, and you need to know that. You need to be aware of that when you come into it. Right. But it but it hasn't felt that way at all. I mean, and I think it's a credit to the Lakers. I think it's a credit mm -hmm. to the league and, I agree. and to all the people involved with this. And I think it's also, it reflects a, like a real sincerity in terms of how people feel about it. I mean, I think it, you know, his death really touched the entire league. Like it really touched the entire basketball universe. And I think that's led to a tone that, that's been, it's been very appropriate. Yeah, I, I, think I agree. Um, well. and, it's, and it's oddly kind of against type in the way the world works now. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm sure it's something we'll come back to, but tonight really was one of those kind of, again, sort of indelible moments. They're wearing the jerseys. You hear that, you know, you see AD, you know, do what he did after, after that. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, I thought I wanted to get to this because I thought the, 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 the question of Dwight Howard, both in this series and in tonight's game, you know, obviously everybody knows what he did in game one. We got this from Ranzabar on the chat. Uh, who, Oops, sorry, I missed that. Sorry, from Mohizi on the chat. What do you make guys make a Vogel not playing Dwight in the third quarter? Um, he basically did Vogel tonight. Dwight played a little less, correct? Yes, in, he only played two. 13 minutes. 13 minutes. He ended up with five fouls um, versus, you know, closer to it was like 25 in, the, in game one, something like yeah. that. I think a lot of it was matching up um, that second shift for. Jokic, because I think what they saw from Dwight in game one was that he the way he was going to play was just balls out bonkers energy. And the line between that being really effective and that being a little too much is thin. Um, and I thought tonight Jokic did a better job with with Dwight. But mostly I just think I think they can't I think they feel like they can't ask him to do that for much more than like 15, 20 minutes a night. And so you knew in the second quarter when Jokic came back in for his second shift, Dwight would come back in. They did it again in the fourth and then pulled Dwight at the end, um, which I thought was the right thing to do. But like Dwight's energy is impossible not to watch. Even when like good th stuff is happening, bad stuff, like 
you cannot stop watching Dwight when he's on the floor in this series. It's incredible. Yeah, it, it is really fascinating. Like the game within the game matchup of just specifically Dwight's minutes against Jokic mm-hmm. and how Dwight goes about trying to use them, how Jokic reacts to them, like you said, better in game two. And he actually started doing a better job of getting Dwight in foul trouble yes. as opposed to game one where you know Dwight was a foul-drawing magnet. You know, he drew the third foul on Jokic, Murray, and Paul Millsap, all in, I think, one half. <laughs> like, it, it was pretty amazing. But, you know, it, it, it wasn't quite as effective in game two. I, I think, to your point, Vogel may recognize that there's an element of less is more. Right. And I think they also felt, too, that they could, they could get away more in this game with playing JaVale, you know, JaVale, for example, played in the second half. Like, he didn't play in the second half until garbage time of game one. So that's naturally going to eat into some of Dwight's minutes, you know, because he started the second half of game one. And that wasn't the case tonight. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it is moving forward. Um, it just, it is, you know, the, the, the energy is sort of almost manic in that regard. Um, do you want to do the thing that, that I was reminding you to do? Up, picked up... Uh, you know, 5,013 like minutes. 13 minutes. And like, it is, but it is a really, I mean, I feel like Frank Vogel uh, is is very sensitive to it. Like, it, it can shift really fast. And actually, I thought it was really cool. Like, I forget who tweeted it out. It might have been Dave Dufour at The Athletic or uh, one of those guys who, you know, are smart dudes. Between Malone playing Dozier, um, Vogel being kind of very liberal with his rotations you see spo doing different things and like there are four coaches in the playoffs right now who are not dogmatic about how they do stuff and like they yeah. will change things shift things kind of miss nick nurse kind of missing nick nurse in those in that regard yeah so um so yeah so there's that but anyway do you want to you want to do the thing yeah this Give is me a the, staggering hey, Brian, remind you uh there was a stat you wanted to get to also right. a reminder so- uh the the podcast and the live show brought to you by Delicious Pizza. Two locations, West Hollywood or Hollywood and West Adams. 20% off your order with the password Cam Brothers. You are supporting a local business. You are supporting a local business of somebody who loves the Lakers. He is every bit as a fanatic as everybody in this chat right now, everybody listening to this podcast. So, so do it. This tweet from the Lakers, how many... In the entire rich history of the Lakers, where they play every year and they, you know, half the time end up in the finals and, you know, 16 times win the final, they have played a lot of playoff games, like a lot. Andy, how many buzzer beaters, like game winning buzzer beaters, have there been in Lakers playoff history? How many would you guess? Hmm. Including tonight. Man, I'm thinking about it now. I mean, the yeah, only I mean, one that's, I'm not talking about the finals. I'm not, I mean, no, no, no. All I, the I, rounds. I mean, off the top of my head, the only other one I can remember is Artest's putback. Like that's one of the only ones I can actually remember. I mean, there's there's <laughs> that. There's Nathan there's Mark point, there's uh, joining four. us from New Zealand. Probably two to three hundred. <laughs> there's there's point four. That was a buzzer beater, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there was four. meta. There was Meta's putback. Mm-hmm. Ad. 
So I'm going to say, because it sounds from your tone that it's low. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, it wouldn't be that phenomenal if there's been, say, 700 of them. <laughs> Correct. It wouldn't be really I that. Mean, yes. I mean, the way I asked the question did give some of it away. Sort of no lead the witness. Um, not 300. I'm going to say seven. That is exactly right. Yeah. Seven. But the, Look at this I mean, guy. you understand why I found that to be a little bit shocking. I mean, maybe I shouldn't in hindsight, okay. but it's it's AD, Meta, which you mentioned, Kobe. I think that's the Phoenix game, right? Yes, Kobe had the Phoenix game. Yes, right. Fish point four, Fish, Ori, point, yeah, Sacto, West's half court heave. People are and mentioning Baylor. Wow, that's seven. it. Seven. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, I just maybe I shouldn't be oh my so God, Damian Damian by that, but I kind of am. Damian Lillard has two by on his own. Right. Like that, like send teams packing. Like he has two like walk-off like buzzer beaters. Like seriously, in the Lakers, you would just think there. I mean, I realize these are sort of rare and all that kind of stuff. And buzzer beater is very specific. It doesn't mean like like there can't be any time left on the clock. I get all that, but just that seemed really low to me. That is that does feel low. I just thought that yes. was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Well, I mean, then, then this will be, I mean, especially assuming you end up getting a championship out of it, th this will be remembered. There's, I mean, you know, I think people sometimes forget that uh, point four didn't lead to a title. You know, it, it, it led to going to the finals where they eventually lost. But, you know, it, it was such an amazing moment. Everybody still remembers it. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, it was it was uh, it was point four was like the greatest thing of all time, I guess, until point five sort of swung it for Toronto and kept them in the series that they ended up actually winning. Well, also too, I mean, point four point four was very very exciting because it was all through the prism of well, they're definitely going to beat Detroit, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that part of the reason everybody got so excited by it is it really felt like the Lakers were going to win a championship. Yeah, and I, I, it was, what's funny about all this stuff too is like it seems like every like you know now it's like the Lakers. There is all this concern that the Lakers could somehow start like taking their foot off the gas or take uh, take uh, Denver start taking them lightly, you know, because they're up and this and that. And literally, they can't because every question they get asked tomorrow is, you know, they're the comeback guys and all this. Stuff. Just once, I would like to be like, oh yeah, we totally like some player. Yeah, they're done, dude. They've completely given up. Denver, come on, fuck man. that. They're done. Come on. Hey, um, really? Like they couldn't forget if they drink. It's the only question they're going to be asked between it now be and the end of the series. Guys, like, have you seen them? And have you seen us? Like, come like, on. We are so much really? better than them. Like, like LeBron, be like, look, dude, look it up. I own Paul Millsap. <laughs> like, I mean, like seriously, that dude, I own him. Like, come on. Like, really? Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great point from. Oh right. Where's Andrew Bynum? He would say they're done. <laughs> God. Real quick, I just want to tell this story because it always makes me laugh, and then we can wrap. In 2010, when the Lakers eventually ended up playing Boston, uh, they had actually punched their ticket against Phoenix before, I think it was Orlando and Boston, had wrapped up their series. So naturally, you know, the, all these players are getting asked the totally cliched question of, you know, who would you rather face, Orlando or Boston? And, you know, everybody to a man is just doing the cliched answer. You know, we, we want to really think about it. You know, both teams are really great. We, we, yeah, we focus on ourselves, that whole thing. And everybody knows the answer is Boston because, A, 
it's Boston, and B, they had just had their asses handed them like two years previous by yes. Boston, thirty-nine point game six loss. They, I mean, they were humiliated and depantsed and emasculated. Everything. <laughs> Everybody knows the damn answer is Boston. Finally, God bless Andrew Bynum, who has no filter whatsoever. He gets asked the question. He goes, oh, yeah, Boston. We want those yeah. guys. I mean, it was so funny. Like when he was younger, like John Black, who was the uh, the the PR guy at the time, used to get so mad at us. Because he'd be like, guys, you're you're like exploiting him. He's like, John, we're just asking. We asked him like, what'd you have for lunch today? And he reveals like state secrets about what's going on. So I'm like, I mean, John, we're just asking the kid questions. Like, and they're not even probing questions. And also, too, I mean, like at that point, Bynum was in the league. Like, four no, or I five. just, I mean, even earlier in his career, like it, he, he did. He, he never had a moment. He walked into L.A. until he was done. Yeah, he, that kid. Like we talk all the time about athletes, you know, and like. There, there are certain athletes that have a perception of just don't give a fuck what you think. Like, mm -hmm. they don't give a fuck what fan thinks. But the truth is, most athletes do. Like, most even somebody – like, most people do, most athletes do. Like, even somebody like Kobe, you know, who had that reputation, you know, Black Mamba doesn't care. He marketed unpopularity. Kobe did, though, care. Like, I mean, you know, he, he cared what people thought. If for no other reason, then he was looking for the best way – to use that for his marketing. Andrew Bynum truly yeah. did not give a fuck what you thought. He was like, I mean, YOLO before it was fashion. I mean, like he didn't care he, what his team he was. Thought. He was YOLO YOLO. Oh, <laughs> he was yeah. like YOLO squared. I mean, like, that guy. Bynum um, was up there with like Rasheed Wallace with yeah, really not always, just not yeah, caring. Not always in a positive way, by the way, but in nope. always in an entertaining way. I'm not saying I wouldn't want to be the guy's teammate, no. but I enjoyed covering him. No, I, I I actually thought, and my my uh, theory with Andrew Bynum down the the stretch of his career, because I agree, like by the time the Lakers uh, traded him, it was time for him to go. <laughs> I think that was fair to <laughs> <Yes>. say. <laughs> he, he had worn out it his had, welcome. It had run its course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, whatever it was, it had run its course, and and it seemed like uh, running its course was something that happened in, in other spots as well. But Bynum was such a good quote. I mean, he was an amazing quote. He should have just worked for every team and just done post-media sessions for all 30 teams. And he would just fly around the entire league just taking questions. Yeah. Because he was amazing. I, I felt that. that way about like Jamal in a, in a different way. Like Jamal Crawford should just be assigned for a week to every team in the league. He's to the, bring joy, to bring joy to people. Crawford's the total opposite. Crawford's yes. maybe the greatest teammate to ever walk the earth. Right, absolutely. He is a joy spreader. Um, Will Barton, if he wasn't so valuable to the the Nuggets, would be perfect. <laughs> oh, he, he remembers the three pointer that got him benched by Mike Brown. It was it was, was all brilliant. Expanding his game. Yeah. Um, quick again, delicious pizza, twenty percent off when you use Cam Brothers as a password to locations, West Adams and in uh, Hollywood off of Sunset. Great pizza. Um, reminder, this week, good. Obviously, Andy, we're going to do a lot of basketball on the late night happy hour every night at 10 o'clock. Tomorrow night, Bill Orm from The Athletic. Monday night, uh, so Monday night, Bill Orm from The Athletic. Uh, Tuesday, <laughs> Matt Moore from The Action Network, formerly of CBS. Great basketball writer. Wednesday, we're aiming for Ohm Young-Masook at ESPN. Thursday, Dragonfly Jones. So we got a lot of great yeah. NBA 
stuff lined up for you as obviously NBA really is the big story. And we're hoping actually we turn back to um, the NFL on Friday with Lindsey Theory, who is always great. And the Rams looking really good. Yeah. Uh, 2-0 and so far. So that's been fun. Um, all right. So we'll be back tomorrow night for Late Night Happy Hour and uh, talking a lot of Game 2 on Tuesday with Matt Moore on the Late Night Happy Hour uh, here on the Late Night Happy Hour. <laughs> That was inelegant. We'll see everybody. Right. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Bye.